Hello, and welcome to the second edition of the FUJ podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Embedded with Java. Welcome to the FUJ podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Today, we're going to talk about embedded systems. Because Java didn't originally start on servers and web applications, it was originally designed to run on embedded devices and help program a remote control that would control TVs and other devices. And after a large detour in which Java became one of the most widely used languages for just about everything, we're back to talking about embedded systems. So today, we have a couple key members of the FUJ and OpenJDK community with us. Hi, I'm Johan Vos. I'm uh, one of the founders of uh, Gluon. And uh, with Gluon, we um, try to put Java on the client back in the picture. Java on the client typically means um, desktop, mobile, and embedded. And um, we are the um, maintainers of uh, JavaFX, which is a great UI framework uh, uh, in Java and um, the de facto standard for creating a Java uh, UI applications. And we make sure that that runs. Uh, first class on mobile embedded desktop systems and that it connects with uh, cloud and enterprise systems. Hello, I'm Frank Topporte. Um, I live in Belgium and I'm a Java programmer for over 10 years. And I knew Java as the backend server thing that everyone is talking about. But I wanted to do a personal project where I used Java, Java and VIX uh, on a Raspberry Pi to do some control of my home uh, systems. Um, and that's when I started to experiment with, with all these things on Embedded. And I discovered that it's really powerful and you can do a lot of it. And uh, I wrote down everything I was experimenting with and it became a book, uh, Getting Started with Java on the Raspberry Pi. Um, that's also how I got into contact with Fuji and started doing some blogging there and, and writing some posts. And uh, seven months ago, I uh, changed company and I work at Toadie, uh, where we have this autonomous robot, a mower robot, to work in your garden. And the idea is there that we have uh, the first affordable uh, worker robot that can do simultaneous different jobs. So we're working on that. And there we also use a lot of Java on backend, on uh, some uh, the, the control devices of the 3D printers. All there is a Java, JavaFX. Hi, and I'm I'm James Gosling. I've been writing um, embedded device Java code since 1991, um, which is somewhat frightening. You know, I I worked at Sun for a long time working on Java and other things that. I was I was kind of Mr. Everything except Enterprise. So I was involved in smart cards and cell phones and the real-time embedded Java standard. Spent some, some time working on autonomous maritime robots at a company called Liquid Robotics. And these days I work for uh, Amazon Web Services and uh, I've been deeply involved in the, the, the uh, Greengrass application framework. My name is Eric Koslo. I do developer relations with Contrast Security, focus on defending applications, typically running on the enterprise, but I really enjoy the embedded space and think that uh, mobile devices are really interesting. And we've had a couple key articles that came up on the Fuji community so far, and I want to introduce the po- or start the podcast by just talking about those. The first one we had, Frank, I think you did an interview with some people about the way that the Raspberry Pi and Java are used in education. And Johan, I know there's a lot that's going on now with Java FX in the embedded space for mobile applica- for mobile and embedded applications with screens. Um, so, Frank, can you talk a little bit about your interview? 
Of course. Um, so um, uh, I'm also involved in the Py4J project, which is a, a library uh, to control the GPIOs, so the physical pins of a Raspberry Pi that you can control LEDs and, and relays and, and motors and everything uh, related to that. And that's how I uh, got into contact with uh, uh, Barbara Sch uh, Schöner and Dieter Holz from the FHNW University of Switzerland. Um, and they have a very nice approach with their students. So they use Java as the language to learn programming. But they also use Raspberry Pi to get uh, used to uh, control electronics so that you have these I2C and, and PBM. So all these kind of signals which are used in electronics and uh, that they also uh, get familiar with those. Um, and they get these nice challenges like uh, calculating the shortest distance between two points, which is a theoretical um, thing you can solve with a program. But they have to um, illustrate it with a game which has, like, for instance, a 64 by 64 LED matrix, uh, which is controlled by a Raspberry Pi, and they have to find the shortest spot between the green and the red light, stuff like that. And they use um, uh, Java, they use Java FX, they use uh, FXGL, the game engine, um, all on the Raspberry Pi, uh, which forces these students also to be very careful with memory usage, uh, to, to uh, focus on performance, but they really learn the basics of Java programming and they go a lot further. And uh, we had two student projects um, last semester. Uh, one was uh, with uh, the CrowPy, which is a little suitcase um, with a lot of components. They wrote a lot of documentation on that part and a lot of uh, example applications. Uh, and the other one was uh, building an FXGL uh, example game on the Raspberry Pi. And it's really nice to see that uh, from a university, they support this Pi4J project by delivering documentation. Uh, they uh, used a, a, an early version of the version two. So they became a contributor to an open source project we gained a lot by uh, getting documentation from them. Um, and the students learned a lot of Java. Eh? And they discovered that this server-side application, uh, the server-side language can do a lot more, eh? that you can build games by that. That's, that's the most uh, eye-opening stuff of Java. You can make games with it. Uh, everyone has forgotten that Minecraft was is this Java game, uh, for instance. So um, it's an important language, and it's... Uh, Fun to see that that universities all, uh, really pick this up, um, and also ask to like for instance the Pi4J project. Do you have other ideas for our students for projects for the next semesters? Like we had uh, proposed some some things like uh, building a, a test framework for the Pi4J library. That's all ideas that that are exchanged between the open source community and and this university. And it's really a nice approach and. Really fun uh, to work with with these students uh, also, and to, and to guide them in their first. Well, first they were really good students. Uh, I think they got an A plus grade, so they were really good. <laughs> I should hope they got an A plus grade. So it sounds like they're doing a lot of cool things. It's not like they're building you know back end enterprise applications. They're building a lot of cool and embedded systems that just yep. work locally. You get to see everything operate. You can blink some lights, and you probably yep. have some cool robot motors and things. Yep. Yep. Uh, they have uh, robot stuff. They have uh, physical games, board game-like things with LEDs and buttons. Uh, an arcade game is also one of the, the things that they were working on. Yeah, so it's really, really fun. And it's uh, bringing back the fun into Java. That's that's the, 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 the title that they give to these projects. 
were the games by any chance in Java FX? Uh, Java FX and FXGL, yes, yes. Oh, nice. So, so the library of, of Almas. Uh, so I, I created a very simple, stupid game for them, and then they took it a bit further. So that was the idea. This is how you program such a thing. Now make it a lot better and and more fun and attach some LEDs and a speaker and uh, all that kind of stuff will, will happen in the next projects. It's actually funny yeah. that you say, um, I heard you saying this uh, cyber, uh, server-side language that can be used for more things than uh, server-side because uh, it, the, well, it's funny and not funny because as, as, as James said in the beginning, uh, uh, Java started um, not on the server. So that was a nice detour, but it's... Uh, um, it's uh, um, it's often hard to explain to people that Java is not only running uh, on the on the server, and to be honest, that is the biggest challenge that we currently face um, uh, uh, with, with Gluon when we try to convince companies to use Java on the uh, client, mobile or embedded. Then they say, "But Java isn't that uh, something for databases?" Mm-hmm. And that is uh, um, sometimes frustrating. And I, I I kept wondering many years how that came because when when I went to Java One in the uh, late nineties, I was always amazed by um, by these cool demos of uh, Java on embedded devices, uh, the toy show with uh, James Gosling and Jack uh, Bolella uh, doing uh, great demos, uh, dangerous demos by the way. So um, that was uh, that was really uh, really fun. But how come? Uh, I, I know that there are a number of reasons why it didn't really take off uh, uh, those days. They had some um, nice work on the phones, um, and I I bought the the, the first uh, phone with Java, um, and and I was very enthusiastic. But um, in the end, um, developers didn't uh, really um, uh, got attracted to it, and so I've been thinking: what are the major reasons why developers um, didn't go for it? And apart from that, of course, there's a, the business story. Um, why is the business not going for it? Well, a database company is not doing something in embedded and mobile phones. So I think that's part of the of the reason. But being, a, um, I worked with P Java, Mid P C, LDC, KDC, and all, and all those um, um, uh, things. And it was a bit confusing as a Java developer. Uh, the right ones run anywhere, but the, um, there were so many um, profiles and configurations that it was hard. So lesson number one that I learned is if you want to do mobile or embedded, you need to do the real Java and, and, and not something that's something between Java 6 and 7, not specifically talking about Android. Uh, and, and that has its own uh, UI layers and that has um, its, its, its own uh, packages that you have to use. No, it has to be the real Java. I think that's important. The second thing is that um, we want to have the real Java, but we also want to take advantage of those embedded capabilities. And if you look at the at the bare metal, most of those embedded and mobile devices are um, ARM CPUs with Linux, with some flavor of Linux on it. And that is something that um, with JavaFX, when with Gluon, we have an, uh, an extension to JavaFX to make it uh, run very fast on, uh, on the Linux kernel using the DRM and the KMS modules that are in the Linux kernel. And that is really... Um, that allows Java to compete with the uh, uh, native toolkits on mobile and embedded because there we combine the cross-platform things uh, of Java with the the, the real the hardware uh, acceleration that is needed um, uh, if you want to to make something shine on those uh, uh, mobile and embedded devices. So from a technical point, 
Well, and actually that combined with the fact that you don't need to install a GRE now on embedded or mobile devices to run mobile applications because you can compile your application ahead of time. And then you have just a native application like any other native application. And I think with, with those things combined, there is now much more opportunity for Java to, to, to really become huge on embedded. And um, from a technical point, I think most of the hurdles are solved. The, the main problem is the image. Um, how can we convince um, and, and how can we convince companies that their user interface don't have to suck? How, how can you explain that a dishwasher has by no means the, 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 the UI capabilities of a mobile phone? And it's so frustrating if you see um, uh, embedded UI devices that are so crappy while there's a language and the UI toolkit that, that allows to make them uh, great. And, and, and most important, those, uh, those, the development of those uh, OpenJDK and OpenJFX are done in the open. So it's not controlled by an advertisement company or whatever. So um, what, are, uh, what is the world waiting for? That's my big question, actually. I mean, the heart of the, a lot of this stuff is, is, is sort of mired in, in history. You know, the, 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 the way that Java sort of turned into something for the enterprise was a simple, you know, follow the money kind of thing from the, um, from the community. I mean, the, it, the, there's just such a crazy amount of money available in the, in the enterprise market. And the enterprise market at the time was, and still is, really, really hurting. You know, if you look at the reliability of, of software and the, the, the velocity of software development back in the mid nineties, it was really sad. And, and people were really, really desperate for something that would let them develop software very quickly and know that, that what they ended up with was very reliable that would um, use the, use the, the, the potentials of the, you know, emerging multi-core um, hardware that everybody had, um, handle large address spaces, large complex data structures. And, you know, when people started having these, these experiences with, you know, modern programming technology, it just, it, it just swept the industry like wildfire. It was, it was, it was really quite bizarre to watch. Um, but it, you know, in the in the embedded world, you know, one of the things that that Java tries to address is is how do you build complex software? And a lot of times in the in the embedded world, the, the 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 software is actually really simple, and and people have have clung to pretty straightforward, simple software development methodologies. Kind of because it's what they know, and and it's also a un, a universe where typically the 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 software developers aren't actually software engineers; they're much more often um, electrical engineers. So they they sort of think about the world a little bit differently. And 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 where Java really starts to shine in embedded devices is is as soon as the software starts getting getting complicated so like like in my previous job uh, which was doing all the, the the software for an autonomous robot it was you know it needed to build a 
a sort of situational awareness map of all the things in its environment, what they were doing, what the craft needed to do in order to respond to the next step. You know, is it doing some kind of collision avoidance? How is a rock different from a boat? And and to be able to do these 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 reevaluations quickly um, in these these evolving um, situations um, and 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 not have to worry about things like memory management. You know, if you try to do you know complex data structures in C, you quickly go absolutely insane trying to avoid. Um, some kind of, you know, memory corruption or allocate free mess that's just ungodly. Um, and, you know, if you ever try doing multi-threaded development and see, you will, you will shoot yourself and be happy about it because it's just so bad. And the embedded world these days is just starting to get to where a really con- a really large fraction of the of the environments out there and the, and the problems out there are are complicated enough that, that it's a really compelling thing um and there's a lot of pain you know when i when i talk to people doing embedded development these days um it gets pretty painful and for a lot of folks you know job is starting they're starting to go oh I know how to make this not hurt, you know, just change the way I do things. Yeah. So that software sounds like pretty complex in terms of running on a robot that's in the ocean that has to be able to figure out, does it go up or down? Cause it has a full three dimensional aspect. And my understanding is that liquid robotics has in essence kind of built an autonomous ocean vehicle that's powered by water. So what what are some of the data structures, capabilities, or what does it have to watch out for as it's in the ocean? It has to watch out for everything. I mean, you know, this is this is a robot that has to survive hurricanes and shark attacks. It has to be able to operate, you know, really close to the North Magnetic Pole, which turns out to be quite a trick, you know, because things like compasses stop stop working. It has to work hundreds or thousands of miles from the nearest human. So if something goes wrong, you've just lost a quarter million dollars. So so being really, really brutally reliable, right? So that so that, that you can be in a hurricane in the middle of the Atlantic, collecting data off off a off a weather station and doing your job because you know if you're if you're out there to be a weather station, which is one of the jobs that these devices do, the most interesting times, the times when the data is the most valuable, is exactly the times when shit is happening. You know, if if you only you know if you only work correctly on bright sunny days, then you're not very useful. Got it. So Java made it feasible to to collect that data from all the different sensors, even when things were going haywire, because you get that crazy read from a compass when you're right next to the world's largest magnet. Yeah, yeah, and 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 things like you know, like, like a GPS receiver. GPS receivers are kind of straightforward, except that they all misbehave in different ways. So so you know, if you actually care about where you are. You really need to have multiple GPS receivers 
You need to have models of how the GPS receivers fail and how, you know, what can cause them to come back to working. You know, we, you know, we, we built things where we always had at least three GPS receivers, no two from the same manufacturer. And, and just, just the data structures to model the state of the GPS receivers and to try to sort out their inconsistencies. You know, that alone gets, gets, gets pretty dicey. You know, so it's 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 nice to have the best tools you can get. All right, so you you probably have a lot of different devices on this robot. You said you had about three different um, GPS coordinate uh, systems on there. And Johan, you were talking a little bit ago about the different architectures that are used in IoT and embedded systems. And one of the things I know that the Java platform has is that unique memory model, which constrains um, and defines how Java interacts with its objects. So how does that play a factor in terms of being able to develop different, uh, a single application for different devices? Well, first of all, the fact that you don't have to deal with um, uh, the memory management um, is already a big win so that uh, the garbage collector is um, uh, uh, taking care of that. That is uh, um, that is um, really something that you uh, can't uh, overestimate. Um, it's, it's indeed true. Most of my C uh, development uh, on Embedded is, um, is about fixing uh, memory uh, issues. And um, it's and, and and the most annoying uh, issues are of course those that are not giving an error immediately. So that uh, there's somewhere leaking a memory and you don't know where, or even worse, some memory is corrupt. It doesn't happen uh, during development or in testing. It only happens in uh, production. So it is uh, uh, and and I think at this point the the Java garbage collectors are. Um, extremely um, useful, uh, performant, and accurate. If, if you're not used to this model, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. Many um, C programmers are used to, okay, yeah, this is, uh, well, SIGSEC-V uh, segmentation violation is, the, uh, is, 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 is very common to them. And, and, and Java developers are um, totally unaware of this. So I think this, this really helps a lot. It comes at the, uh, well, Often it comes at a price, uh, uh, of course. Um, it's it's not directly related, but um, well, the best of both worlds may be um, maybe maybe good, and that is something that uh, hopefully will uh, appear in next versions of Java. If we can have uh, um, more direct um, influence on on the memory layout, so that, for example, complex matrix multiplications can run as fast in Java as as uh, they are um, on uh, uh, well with uh, uh, native C. And the reason I'm saying this is um, because adding to what James said about uh, um, embedded devices are typically not used for complex applications. Um, I think that's that's true, but we see that those devices are getting um, more, um, they get more resources and they're also used to do more tasks. For example, um, uh, data processing and uh, uh, AI. And in that case, um, mathematical operations are extremely important. And that is what I think one of the biggest uh, um, uh, uh, fields of opportunity uh, for Java. And that goes from uh, um, autonomous driving uh, in, in, in a car or um, on a uh, on a wave glider um, over um, face recognition, 
and all kinds of uh, um, applications that are related to um, yeah, AI and uh, data processing. And for privacy reasons, the data that is captured on devices is not always allowed to go to cloud systems. So you need to do some processing on those devices. And that is where we did a proof of concept of, uh, about that many years ago. So where we trained a neural network on a cell phone and um, the, uh, the data captured by the user was not going to the cloud to retrain the model there, but it was uh, kept locally and, it, and the model was retrained locally and that can be done during the night when the uh, the phone is not used for other things. And then the, the delta of the model is sent back to the server. So this um, doesn't violate the privacy. It leverages the increasing power of uh, um, of the devices. And it is, it's getting more complex to do this um, in um, in a more simple language than, um, than, than, than Java. So I think these tasks are getting increasingly complex and this is now the um the opportunity i think for for java to become relevant uh, uh there rather than um adding more uh lines of code to uh, scripting languages it might be good to to do it in java uh now yeah one of the challenges that many people had historically with java is that memory allocation and deallocation if you look at the, if you, if, if you sort of benchmark Java against C for memory allocation and deallocation, you find that um, in terms of an amortized cost sort of averaged over time, Java is much cheaper because most of the time you never actually free memory, it just sort of goes away. But the, the cost of cheaper, you know, average cost is that the cost became very lumpy, you know, that there would be periods where the garbage collector would would kick in, and you know the 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 device or whatever would essentially stop running for a second or two. But in 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 the more modern JVMs, the GC time is now almost vanishingly small. You know, for you know, if you're using like I think the most J, JDK sixteen, um, in particular, if you use the the Coretta release of JDK sixteen. It's got a, a um, really highly tuned GC in it, and you know you can you can get maximum pause times of well under a second. You know, tens of tens of milliseconds are is a is a is a is a typical upper bound, um, and that 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 starts to make many of these embedded applications really really smooth. And the the people I talk to who are Still working on the GCs, you know they're they're trying to get down to like sub millisecond max max pause times, and you know they're going to get there. And and you know the the um, the the progress that people are making is is just in, in, incredible. And but one of the areas that's been a little frustrating has been the math part of it. And one of the things that I found really annoying about it is that. You know, in past lives, when I when I like worked at some microsystems, it was like it was always like, well, can't we allocate some some headcount to working on 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 the on doing math fast because we actually knew how to do it. It was just like a project that was going to take some people to work on it, and you know the the answer always always came back, and it was it was a correct but annoying answer, which is that. 
there's no money in numerical computing. You know, compared to enterprise computing, numerical computing just doesn't get the love because it doesn't generate the dollars. You know, so if you're if you're having to figure out, you know, what what stuff to allocate, you know, hard hard cash to enterprise stuff, always one. Yeah, and I know they've allocated some of that headcount and work to the garbage collectors because um, in the core hotspot JDK, they have ZGC in open JDK, Red Hat has Shenandoah, and these are the pauseless garbage collectors. And what you're talking about earlier with the the robots that were in the ocean that had to make a lot of decisions around everything, it seems like garbage collection was not an issue for that because of some of the advancements that have been made in the core platform that fit on those embedded devices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so you know if you're okay with with pauses of a few tens of milliseconds, there's no issue. And you know GC is one of those things that it helps everybody. And you know with 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 numerical computation, I mean everybody does numerical computation just to some extent, um, and it's not actually slow in Java. Although there was a period where you know, in 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 Java, there. If you look, read the Java spec. There's this keyword strict FP, which has a very mysterious sort of explanation, um, and it's really a a workaround for an Intel bug that they they were officially going to never fix, and 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 so as kind of a trying to trying to make Intel happy, we 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 sort of legalize their their some of their bugs but the bugs that we never legalized were the things that involve sine and cosine um so if you did a benchmark in 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 java of like six seven eight years ago that involved sine and cosine java was just losing miserably um mostly because we actually had to work around the hardware bugs and then see Nobody cared about the hardware bugs, even though they could have some awful consequences. But you know, in later versions of the of the of the Intel chips, they actually have correct implementations of sine and cosine. But instead of fixing sine and cosine, they just in- invented new instructions. You know, there's so, so they all have the correct sine and cosine and the backwards compatible sine and cosine, which I find kind of hilarious. All right. So in terms of robotics, there's a lot of interesting things that are going on now in the Raspberry Pi community with the ARM-based devices. So James, you were just talking about some instructions that were on Intel for sine and cosine. Um, But Frank, I know you've been doing a lot with embedded systems like with Pi 4J so that people can build prototypes of just different robots and things. And your average person probably isn't going to deploy a robot into the ocean. Um, But what are some of the things and projects that people can do with embedded Java using like a Raspberry Pi? You have to look at the cost of a Raspberry Pi. It's very low. So you have a Raspberry Pi for $35, something like that. So... For instance, where I work now, Toadie was a startup. We we're busy for three, four years. So we have to go fast and it has to be inexpensive. So we have used Raspberry Pi everywhere. The first uh, uh, moors, so the first robots, they were based on a Raspberry Pi. And we had, uh, so we could use something to which was driving around, which was gathering images, which was working or not working, but we had something which was driving around. Meantime, we have our own hardware. 
our robots are all 3D printed. So we have a lot of 3D printers. Again, we use a Raspberry Pi to control these printers. And that's the first thing where I introduced Java in, into Todi uh, for this kind of devices, because we wanted to have a little touchscreen on each printer. So if, if, if the operator is uh, walking around in the printer room, that he can quickly check what's going on or start a new job. So I don't like the kind of programs where you have um, on a Raspberry Pi, you have a service running and you have your browser and in your browser, you have a web application. So if something is going wrong, where is it? So you have to, to be aware of all these, these levels. And, and by moving to Java, we have a background service, which is controlling the, the printer and reading the states. We have Java fixed for the user interface. On the back end, we have a Java application, again, which is getting the same kind of models which are exchanged between both applications. And everything is Java from beginning to the end. So if something happens, yeah, it's me to blame because I developed it, but <laughs> it's much more clear where we have to look for, for the issue. Um, and then if you uh, extend it with like, for instance, the Py4j library and you can control lets and you can control buttons and you can read the button state and you can uh, control any kind of chip you have, uh, like a GPS, uh, Gluon has an example with, with um, um, uh, a car in-car uh, entertainment system where you have uh, the, the position of the car, that kind of GPN antenna costs $15. And you have it the next day on your desk and you can attach it to your Raspberry Pi and read the state of the GPS antenna. It will not be as reliable as the one that James was using in on the sea uh, on his uh, robots. But it's something you can experiment and you can get knowledge and you know how it works or you can uh, learn how it works and, and, and build your experiments, uh, experience. When I started to program, I was 10 years old and I had a Commodore 64, I'm, uh, that, that generation. And when I was 14 years old, I had my Lego trains controlled by my Commodore because I had a relay board. And that, at that time, that was horrible. I had to buy a book in the Netherlands and I had to buy my components somewhere else. Now it's online. You find all the documentation you need and you can get started very fast. And you have all these people in, in the Java community, in the Arduino community, everywhere who are willing to, to share how you set up such, a, such an experiment. Um, my love for Java is that you can run it on a Raspberry Pi and the knowledge you already have as Java developer, uh, you know how to build an application, you know how to compile it, how to run it. Um, you have all your build tools, but well, use the same kind of, use the same experience and knowledge also on these devices because it works just as fluently. In my book, I've, I've used uh, Spring. Uh, I have some blog posts with Quarkus. It all works. It starts super fast. Thanks to the work of Gluon, you can build uh, for the 32-bit version or the 64-bit version of the operating system. You can build native applications. So there's nothing stopping from having reliable applications with not too many layers, not a, a browser, and not uh, it's all within your Java environment. Yes, I think one of the other cool things that I've seen Gluon have, and Johan, correct me on this if I'm I'm wrong or misleading. Um, there's a cool hardware abstraction layer where I can communicate with like the Bluetooth device, whether it's on a PC or a phone, or I can communicate to a GPS. So I don't have to learn like the specific GPIO signals of uh, different pieces of hardware. Right. So that is an, uh, an open source project called uh, Gluon Attach that we have uh, uh, for this, and it contains. Uh, um, yeah, indeed, it, it an hardware abstraction layer over typical um, mobile and embedded um, functionality 
like um, GPS, obviously, but also Compass, uh, barcode reader, how's it called, gyroscope, and uh, uh, all this uh, um, uh, this functionality that's typically available but provided by different vendors and available in a different way with different permission access. And so, so to make it as easy as possible for Java developers to to use a Java API, um, we have uh, uh, we have glue and attach uh, for this. It's extensible, so if you want to extend it with your own services, you can uh, you can do that. But the goal, I mean, it it fits in the overall concept that Java developers should just be able to use their IDE and to talk to those uh, devices. If you need to start hacking into your program, if I am on a uh, Raspberry Pi model uh, 3B, then I have to download this driver and call this instruction. If not, if it's Android, uh, then uh, I don't care. And if it's iOS, then I have to do this. That is that is not what a, what a Java developer um, uh, wants. I mean, it's, it's, it's often fun to do because, well, in the end, what are we doing with Attach exactly this um, cleaning up this mess? But one of the things that I really like about Java is that it's, and I, I'm, I'm probably using it in the wrong context, so James, correct me when I'm wrong, but that it is a blue color language and it is designed to get the job done. It's not designed to get the best price for the, um, for, for the most elegant design or whatever, but it, it, it wants to get the job done in a, in a good, in a high quality way. So not just with only five lines of code, you can do this, but um, you focus on your code and Java will make sure that it works, that it scales, that it's secure, that it's, uh, um, uh, and, and, and all those ground framework. And, and, and I think that is something that we want to achieve with Attach uh, as well. Just use your IDE and, um, and you should be able to create applications for all those devices. All right, um, James, I know you're working on AWS Greengrass and some different uh, aspects with Embedded. Are there any interesting devices or capabilities that you see coming forward that uh, your average Java developer can do in the Embedded space in the next year or so? Um, I don't know. I mean, most of the cool stuff is is, is the stuff that's already in the, is sort of in the air. The, the stuff that I've been working on is not so much about you know, adding new capabilities, but about making it easier for people to go from a proof of concept to a to a product. So, so, so what I've been working on, and it's what this product called Greengrass really does, is is kind of all of the stuff that you need, sort of around a, a, a an IoT app to make that IoT app really sort of production hardened, right? So. Um, it deals with things like over-the-air updates, how you handle command and control, how you handle, you know, logging and various sorts of management, how you handle interactions with the cloud, how you handle a bunch of security issues, and how you handle like credentials and 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 in particular, it's you know when you you know, you know when most people write an IoT app. They 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 cobble it up on their Raspberry Pi, and you know they you know plays with some sensors and some servos or whatever it is. But once you're past that and you and you want to like distribute this to a million devices, 
or 10 million devices. And you want to be able to monitor them, manage them, all of that stuff. You know, handle handle IoT at at significant scale. That's really what what Greengrass is about. You know, when you want to interact with other stuff, you know, if you need to be able to do things like deploying databases that that people would normally install by hand, but you want to want to automate all of that. And of course, the the hard part of installing is not installing, but the ongoing upgrading and maintaining and looking after it and you know going from the the sort of hi i've got this thing that actually works to okay now let's punch out a million of them that's what that's what i've been working on for the last several years got it so it probably makes it a lot easier in terms of like java you can use things like the jdk 1.4 logger you can use log4j commons logging or now um, in jdk 9 system.get logger and it seems like greengrass makes it easy for me to get that information from a single device or a fleet of devices rather than having to build like a log aggregation framework yeah so so log aggregation frameworks are something that there are tens of thousands of out in the world. Um, so rather than trying to invent yet another log aggregation framework, we we tie into, you know, we, we, we built this fairly modular mechanism to allow people to sort of tie things together so that, 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 that you can, you know, I mean, the, the things that, that, that work out of the box are doing things like, you know, logging to Kinesis or lo- logging to any of the AWS system management frameworks. But you can you can kind of log to anything. Okay, and probably a batched log or an immediate log because sometimes the device may not have connectivity. So it seems like those are the types of problems that have been dealt with that just like a Java developer doesn't have to worry about memory management, they now have to worry significantly less about log collection. Well, and 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 I mean telemetry and logs are all kind of the same thing. Uh, one of the things that is 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 really different differentiates embedded development from um, cloud development is that that in the embedded world errors are completely normal um, and in particular network con- connectivity errors and network connectivity is also something that's that's variable right so so if you've got um, like a, a a cell modem connection, Sometimes it'll be fast, sometimes it'll be slow. If you're logging stuff and you happen to be at the, you know, at the kind of the, the limit of your cell modem connection, it'll be slow and you may not be able to log everything. So we have a way for you to, to prioritize different data streams and it, it will hold back some data because it doesn't have bandwidth to send it. But then higher priority stuff it will get through. So, you know, you know, you can log lots and lots of engine temperatures, but no matter what, the I'm on fire message has to has to blast through all of the all of the queued up data. Interesting. So this is another concern that the Java developers don't have to concern themselves with, or they code it once and then the framework kind of takes care of it so that they're able to deploy their device and not have to deal with that specific every time. Yeah, so 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 you say I want to write this this bag of bytes out to this 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 log or this data stream, and and it manages all the vagaries of the communication channel. You know, when when most people are are screwing around with a Raspberry Pi, 
is sitting on their desk. They probably got a really good Wi-Fi connection. They may even have a hardwired connection. But as soon as you take a device out into the real world, things get variable. Right. Like the liquid robotics, you're talking about dealing with sharks. And Frank, I don't know if your lawn mowing robot has to deal with dogs. Uh, well, chickens are really big fans of our robots. We've seen okay. uh, chickens and rabbits. They, yeah, okay. we have a lot of uh, <laughs> pictures of those. But yeah, it's, it's the same problem. Eh? Uh, uh, the, the, the robot can send states, can get this new firmware from, from IFI. Uh, but yeah, it's in a garden. So that's not typically the place where you have a lot of good Wi-Fi coverage. So that's indeed the kind of problems uh, we're facing. That's correct. All right. So there's a lot of interesting information about Java on Embedded. Do we have any parting words of wisdom or just points of education to note about Java in the embedded space? I guess the only thing I'd say is that you know embedded programming is a lot more fun than enterprise programming. I mean, I really enjoy it. It's Got it. So embedded story, programming yeah. is more fun. And Frank, it sounds like you can do a lot of that with Pi4j. It's, it's the blinking let. The first time you have a let which blinks because you did something in software that's an, how do you call it, an aha erlebnis? It's something, I did this and I didn't know how to do this before. And it all starts from there. Yeah. And, and, and connect up a servo. And then life gets really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I I agree with that. Um, it's uh, um, it's fun and it makes you um, you feel that you're really contributing to or bringing the world to the next level. Because nothing wrong with using Java on the server, but um, the happiness that you feel when you invented uh, something or you can create something. I have so many uh, dreams that I want to do with her, so I'll have to talk with Frank about Pi for J and so. But um, it's 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 often more fun now. The annoying thing is uh, um, has been mentioned a few times is that uh, um, well there's more money to be earned um, with uh, uh, if you go to the back end and fresh developers when they got out of school and they want to earn money they typically go to uh, back end development and uh, I I really hope that that is some, I'm probably too naive but I hope that that is something that we can change. And actually, if AWS is now investing in a client-side uh, framework, it's it's not a charity organization. So that means that in the end, there is revenue in the cloud. And I strongly believe in that because all those cloud systems with all the data, where does the data come from? It has to come from uh, clients and, 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 and especially phones and IoT devices. So the better um, those embedded frameworks work, the, the more value uh, there is in the backend. I think a main problem is that in large companies, they often still think in silos. The enterprise silo and the embedded silo have different goals. And if, if the embedded development can lead to more revenues in the cloud, that doesn't benefit the, um, the embedded uh, uh, team. And I think that is a that is a problem, but I, I do think that if, if you want to follow the money, well, go back to the origin of the money, which is often a phone or an embedded device that is capturing data, processing data, and sending uh, data or doing actions. And I think, I think it's so simple, but maybe I'm too naive because otherwise all the big cloud companies would mainly compete on the place where the data comes from, which is the client. 
All right. Thank you very much, everybody, for attending. I think we could wrap up the discussion here and keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about Java development, both uh, on the server on the back end and especially on embedded systems. Well, thanks, Eric. It's been a been a pleasant hour. Thanks for having us. Give me a Foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.